Today, as I said, the sermon is titled, Know the Story, Knowing the One True Story. Now, as we jump into the sermon, I want to do just a little thought experiment together, okay? So for those of you guys who who grew up in the church, uh, you're aware of this concept of a quiet time. Now, if you didn't grow up in the church, that's okay. Uh, A quiet time just means when's the last time you got in a, a quiet place with just your Bible and the Lord, and you read your Bible, and you prayed, and you considered what God is calling you too. Now, I want, I want to ask you, uh, go back with me to your last quiet time. When was the last time you had time alone with the Lord? Now, l- let's put some texture to it. Uh, when was it? What time of the day was it? Was it your lunch break? Was it early in the morning? Was it right before you went to bed? Uh, were you sipping on coffee? Were you, were you eating dinner? Were you uh, sitting in your car because you're on break from work? Where were you? Were you in the break room at work? Were you with other people? Were you by yourself? Okay, so I want you to remember back to that moment for me. Mine uh, just is, is, was this morning. Uh, I get here at at an excessively early time that I'm a little bit embarrassed to share with you guys. And what I do is I get over in this room here in a quiet place and I go to Psalm chapter 19 every Sunday and I just read Psalm 19 over and over and over again. And I pray, I pray for this gathering. I pray for the word that's gonna be preached. I pray for each person who's gonna come into this place. I know a variety of stories and circumstances in here and I pray for those circumstances by name. Now, I wanna ask you the question, go back to your quiet time. What did you pray for? As you were with the Lord and you were with your Bible, what did you pray for? Did did you pray for protection? Did you pray for provision? Did you pray for deliverance? Did you pray for hope? Did you pray for help? All good things to pray for. Now here's why I say that. In Ephesians chapter one, we get a picture into Paul's prayer life for the church at Ephesus. Look look back at verse 15 with me. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Right out of the gates in Ephesians chapter one, Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. Just a little bit of context. Paul planted and pastored and led this church for a while. And then he handed it off to a group of elders and he moved on his missionary journey to go plant more churches. Now, as Paul is on his missionary journey, this church at Ephesus wrote him a letter and, and they said, hey, here's what's going on here. Here's some of our struggles. Here's some of our needs. Here's some of the, the victories. Here's some of the defeats that we're walking through this church at Ephesus. So Paul reads this letter he receives and he writes a letter back to the entire church. And this letter is meant to be read to the entire congregation. And in the letter, he's going to encourage, he's going to exhort, he's gonna correct, he's gonna rebuke, he's gonna admonish, he's gonna do all the things that a good pastor and a good leader does for his church. But, but what Paul does right out of the gates is significant. He says, hey, before I do anything else, before I give you any advice, any wisdom, what I wanna do is I wanna bring you before the Lord. I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for your needs. Paul understands that prayer is more powerful than anything he has to offer the church at Ephesus. And then we get a little insight into the content of his prayer for the church. Look at verse 17 and the first part of verse 18 with me. And you'll notice that there's some words underlined here. He says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Let's, let's stop right there. Now, Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus, all those things I just said a second ago, protection, provision, refuge, hope, deliverance, all those things are good things to pray for, but Paul doesn't pray for any of those things for the church at Ephesus. The primary thing he prays for is that they would know God. More than praying for their needs to be met, Paul prays that they would meet their God. He knew that greater than the need for protection is to know the protector. Greater than their need for provision is to meet their provider. Greater than their need for deliverance itself is to have knowledge of the one who has the ability to deliver. Paul starts his prayer by saying, I want you to have wisdom and knowledge of God. I want you to have revelation. I want your hearts to be enlightened that you may know God. Herman Bavink one time famously said that God and God alone is man's highest good. That the greatest good for you and I is not that all our desires would come to fruition, that all our needs would be met. The greatest good for every one of us in this room is that we would know God, which is why Paul begins his prayer for the church at Ephesus for them to know God, because he knew their greatest good was the knowledge of God. God. This is why at Story Church, at the very first part of our mission statement, we want to know the one true story, the one true story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and more importantly, the God of the gospel. We want to know God himself. This is why we frequently pray Ephesians chapter one for this church. Yes, we know there's needs and stories and circumstances out there. And we pray for those, but we pray every time that you would know God in the midst of those circumstances, that you know he is good and he is present and he is active and he is working and he is merciful and he is gracious. We want to know the story. And here's the main point for today. Knowing the story results in my flourishing. And I wanted to make that sentence as personal as possible. I want you to read that for yourself. Knowing the story results in my flourishing, your individual flourishing. I don't want this to be a concept that you think, man, it's out there. Everyone else can have it, but I can't have it. No, no, no. God is for you, God is with you, and God wants your flourishing in this world. And knowing him results in your flourishing, in my flourishing. So here's what we're gonna do today and in, in the next couple of weeks. The first thing we're gonna look at is kind of the why, the reason why we wanna know the story. And then we're gonna move into how, some practical, some nuts and bolts of how we want to spur that on here at Story Church. And then I'll close with something else, all right? So as we begin, though, I want you to just imagine something again with me. Uh, Owen, for Christmas, got a little toy train, you know, those wooden track ones that you put together and they fall apart instantly. They're magnetic. And it's like, we spent 20 bucks on this thing? This thing's worth like 650. What's going on here? Throw that thing on offer up. Let's get rid of that. No, we didn't do that. We're letting him play with his, his toys. Um, now I want you to imagine a train, okay? Your Christian life, you're that train. Some trains are powered by electricity. Some are powered by steam, some by coal, some by diesel. But you need some kind of fuel in your Christian life to move you along. 
And that fuel is the why, why we know God. That will fuel your Christian life along. But you also need the tracks. You need the tracks to keep you moving in the right direction. Without the tracks, we veer off course. That's the the how. We'll rehearse that here again in a second. But I want you to keep in mind that imagery as we move through. All right, so first point, why we want to know God. Why we want to know the one true story. Call this the why, call this the fuel, call this the purpose, call this the reason, underneath the reason, call this whatever you want, but you need something to compel you and to motivate you to continue to pursue God. I'm gonna read back in Ephesians chapter one, the reason why we wanna know God. Look at verse 18, the second half of it in verse 19 with me. Paul's saying, I'm praying that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? Right there in those two verses, Paul packs three what statements that give us the reason why we wanna know God. He says, you want to know what is the hope? What is the riches of his inheritance? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? The reason why we wanna know God is so that we can know hope and power and that we belong to God. This is why we wanna know God. Let's walk through each of those statements together. First, when we know God, we know hope. When we know God, we know hope. Uh, recently I was reading a book and, and, and I, I read this fascinating sentence. N.T. Wright says this, that Christian hope is imagining God's future for us in the present because of what Christ accomplished for us in the past. Because of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to the Father, guaranteed future in the present because of what Christ did in the past, in the present, we have hope. We are not a people without hope, but the future that God describes in the scripture is a guarantee for every person united to Christ. Every person who has returned from their sins and trusted in Jesus has a guaranteed future that is full of hope. And when we know God, we know this hope. Throughout the scriptures, hope is intimately connected to some beautiful realities. In Romans chapter five, hope is connected to sharing in Christ's glory. That as Christ is now glorified in his resurrected state, we too will be glorified with him. Everything that happens to Christ happens to the Christian. Hope is connected to ultimate salvation. 1 Thessalonians chapter five tells us that, that one day God is going to finish that which he started. And here's one thing I know. I know I have trusted in Christ. I am fully and freely and forever forgiven of my sins. That is a guarantee, but I am still riddled with the presence of sin. I still struggle with sin. But there is a day coming when ultimate salvation is gonna come and sin will be eradicated forevermore and I won't struggle with it anymore and neither will you. I'm hoping for that day because I hate my sin. Hope is connected to righteousness. There's a hope of righteousness. This is Galatians chapter five, verse five, that one day we will dwell in a world that is ruled by righteousness alone. Sin and evil and darkness will be no more. Christ will fully defeat the enemy. 
Hope is connected to a resurrection with an incorruptible body. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where again, everything that happens to Christ happens to us and Christ has been resurrected in bodily form and so too will we. And guess what? That body will be incorruptible. What does that mean? No more knees aching. No more disease diagnosed. No more pills taken. No more struggling to get out of bed. No more losing your mind. No no more being trapped in a broken body. Just a body that is perfect and free in the presence of God. I want that day. Hope is connected to eternal life. This is Titus chapter one, verse two. We have a hope of eternal life. Hear me, death does not have hold on you. Darkness cannot hold you. Christ and his life rules over you. And that is our future hope. And we know we're not hoping with our fingers crossed thinking, man, is this going to come through? No, we hope with a guaranteed confidence because of what Christ accomplished in the past for us. When we know God, we know hope. Now, why is this important? This is important because we live in a world that is marked by trials and tribulation and suffering and sin. All around us, we see brokenness and bad news. And here's what the enemy intends to do. The enemy intends to snuff out your Christian hope by having you fixate on the things of this world, by having you dwell on the darkness that remains and to be a person that is hopeless and full of despair. But when we know God, when we know the story, when we know the scriptures, we are reminded of the hope that we hold to and more importantly, the hope that holds to us. We are reminded that darkness will not have the final word, that trials and tribulation and pain and suffering will be no more, and our future is incredibly bright. All sadness and tears and grief and brokenness will be no more. All there will be is bliss and glory and worship and happiness in Christ. We must know the story because we must be reminded of this hope. I need hope. You need hope. Number two, when we know God, we know that we belong. Now, I want you to look back at verse 18 with me. The second reason why, he says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, all across the scriptures, we are promised an inheritance as Christians, but God is also promised an inheritance. That text says it is his inheritance, not ours, his inheritance. What does this mean? This means that we belong to God. When we know the story, we know that we belong And this is really important. If you go back to the creation account with me, uh, everything God is creating, he says, this is good. This is good. The, The skies and the seas, the birds and the fish, good. The day and the night, good. All of creation is good. And then God sees Adam all by himself and he says, this is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. So God creates Eve and Adam finally has everything that he needs. And you and I are created just like Adam with a need to belong, with a need for community, with a need for love, with a need for family, with a need for a place to call home. 
And when the scriptures say we are God's inheritance, it is communicating to us that we belong to him. That everything we're starving for, we have in him. That he is our father, we are his sons and daughters. That we are a part of the family of faith. That his home is our home and we will live with him forever. That the community that we need, we have in him and in one another. That where we feel like we don't belong, God says, you're mine and you belong to me and you belong with me and nothing and no one can change that. This is really good news because all of us are starving for a place to belong. This is why clubs and things like that become popular. CrossFit and, and, and biking clubs and, and, and all of these different things on earth become popular because every one of us is starving for a place to belong and a people to call mine. And in the gospel, we are reminded that we are his, he is ours, and we belong to each other. Now, this is good news, again, because again, the enemy wants to try and distract you, and, and he wants you to look around this room right now, and he wants you to say, I'm not like these other people. I'm a fraud. I don't belong here. They could never like me if they truly knew me. That's not true. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And in the gospel, we are reminded that we are fully known by God in all of our sin and failing, yet fully loved and forgiven in the gospel. And at Story Church, you can be fully known and fully loved and have a place to belong. When we know God, we know that we belong. Number three, the third what statement that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter one is that when we know God, we know power. Look at verse 19 and 20 with me. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. When we know God, we know power. Now, a little bit of context for the book of Ephesians. Uh, where the church at Ephesus was planted, it was kind of the epicenter of the ancient world, like dark arts, okay? Dark power, magic, the Artemis cult, human sacrifices, calling upon de demonic forces and all of these kind of things. And, and those dark arts were growing in power and the Christian influence was waning in power. And as Paul writes this letter to Ephesus, he is reminding them that all the dark power in this world is rendered impotent in the face of the immeasurable power of God. He is saying to them, fear not, take heart. Don't shrink back. The enemy can't do anything. You're mine. You belong to me and I have immeasurable power. You know how powerful I am? I took Christ from the dead and made him alive. That's how powerful I am. And when we know the story, we are reminded of this power and we are told all across the New Testament that this resurrection power as Christians dwells within us by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, this is really important, again, because I believe we are leaving so much on the table when it comes to the power of God. I believe there is so much more Holy Spirit power available for each and every one of us. Here's the deal. We hear about the Christian life. We're told walk in holiness. We're told defeat sin. We're told make disciples. We're told to walk in righteousness. 
And I look in my life and I see my own power, my own strength. I can't do squat. I don't have it. I'm not called to have it. The spirit of God in me has it to be empowered, to walk in holiness. I can't do it in my flesh. I must do it under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit to live righteously, to make disciples, to live on mission, to evangelize the lost, to live in community, to worship God. I need the Holy Spirit power working through me. And here's the good news. We are told when we recognize our weakness is the right time for Christ's strength. We have so much more Holy Spirit power available to us But here's the deal, the enemy hates you, okay? Christian, hear me, everything you stand for, Satan hates and opposes. Your life, your relationship, your marriage, your kids, your workplace, your community, your home group, this church, this gathering, everything about your life, Satan hates. You gotta understand that. But in Paul writing this, he is reminding them that that shouldn't be fearful to the Christian. Yeah, Satan hates me, but I don't just have the superior power over Satan. I have the supreme power over Satan and he is working on my behalf. And yet what we do is we leave all that on the table and we say, I got this. I'm gonna do this on my own. I don't need help from anyone. I surely don't need help from God. Hear me. That's a lie from enemy, the enemy. And he wants you to believe that because he wants to overcome you. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. Take heart, he has overcome the world. When we know God, we know hope. We know our future. When we know God, we are reminded that we belong to him and to each other. And when we know God, we are reminded of his Holy Spirit power that lives within us. This is the reason why we want to know God. I want those things. I hear this word hope. I hear this word belonging. I hear this word power. And I'm like, yes, give me that. The only way I'm going to get that is if I know God and I know this story because my fickle heart is not powerful enough to remind me of the promises of this scripture and neither is yours. So how? How then do I walk in this knowledge of God? How then do I pursue knowing God? Great question. That's the next point. Uh, Just as a train needs a track to keep it going in the right direction, we too need a track to keep us going in the right direction of the knowledge of God. One of the foundational truths that we must remember is that we do not drift into knowledge of God. You don't just wake up one day and find yourself there. It requires a direction and staying on course to get there, okay? Which is why we need these railroad tracks. So I'm gonna label the two sides of the railroad track for us, disciplines and rhythms. Disciplines of knowing God and rhythms of knowing God. Here's some nuts and bolts practicals of how we can know the one true story. Let's start with disciplines. The disciplines of knowing God. When I'm speaking of disciplines, I'm speaking of actions. I'm speaking of habits. Just like we're all disciplined, hopefully, we're all disciplined to to eat well and and sleep well and exercise, to be healthy. These are disciplines that go into our Christian life of knowing God. I'm gonna walk through just kind of a menu of options and I want you to consider as we hop into 2022 of how can I know God? The first one is the Bible reading plan. 
okay? It's an evergreen resource on our website. Hit our website, hit the resources page. You'll see the Bible reading plan. It's a PDF you can download to your phone or you can print it out. If you're, if you're that kind of person, you need, you need something tactile to look at. But, but hear me, that's a great discipline to keep you on track. That's a great discipline to keep you moving in the right direction. On December 31st, I got a text message from Ben Jones and all it said was, it is finished. And I'm like, yes and amen. Come on, Christ finished it. And he's like, no, 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 the Bible reading plan, it's finished. And I'm like, oh, you did it, man. And I'm asking, you know, how'd it go? How you feeling? How was it? And all, all those kind of things. And, and yes, there's some slogging. Like you gotta get through Ezekiel. It takes time and it's hard. You gotta get through it, but it's worth it. Just because it's hard does not mean it's not worth it. As a matter of fact, the harder it gets, the pro- probably the more worth it it is. We know this intuitively. And so you have to discipline yourself. If you're not a fan of ours, that's okay. There's, if you download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, there's a plethora, hundreds of Bible reading plans. New Testament only, Old Testament only, New Testament and the Psalms. There's all kinds of options, but you need to give yourself the accountability to say, I'm gonna wake up every day and I'm gonna read my Bible. Do a Bible reading plan. Another one, a good option is a scripture journal. Uh, we buy, for every book that we preach through at Story Church, we buy a bunch of crossway Bible journals for the church. We're gonna hand out the Ecclesiastes one here in a couple of weeks as we jump into Ecclesiastes. We have a Mark one, we have a Colossians one, we have an Exodus one. If you need one, let us know. But this is a great way for you to be active in your Bible reading. On one side, it's the Bible. On the other side, it's notes. And it's a fantastic resource because it doesn't allow us to just skim over it, right? When we get to the hard portions, what do we typically do? We skim over and say, man, where do I get? Where's the easier part for me? When we get to portions we don't understand, we're like, man, let me skip over that and get to something I do understand, What's fantastic about the scripture journals is that you can mark it up, you can write in it, you can ask questions, you can journal thoughts, you you can circle something to come back to later. Listen, I spent four years and thousands of dollars to learn Greek and Hebrew and read way too many books, but here's the truth. Oftentimes I get into my Bible reading and there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. There's a lot of stuff that I'm like, I'm putting a question mark over that. And here's what, what a question mark signals to me. When I get some time this week, I'm gonna go research that. I'm gonna go read more about that. Someone who's smarter than me, knows more than me, I'm gonna call them and say, hey, what are your thoughts on that? You get to do that with a scripture journal. You get to write your questions, write your thoughts, write your reactions and responses to God's word. Grab one of those. Another discipline is, is meditation upon the scripture. Now you hear the meditation, I'm not, word meditation, I'm not talking about like, you know, yoga and emptying your mind. I'm actually talking about like filling your mind with the word of God. Here's just a practical one you can do. Go to Romans chapter eight. I think it's the crown jewel of the Bible. I think it's the best chapter in all of scripture. Um, my personal thought, other people disagree with me, that's okay. Um, go to Romans chapter eight and just spend 30 minutes meditating on it. Maybe just one verse of it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Have you been reminded of that today? Do you need to meditate on that? Let that sink in, in such a way that you're not just blowing past it, but you're thinking, man, do I believe this? How does this apply to me? Where do I need to be reminded of this? Where my life needs to hear these truths? Meditate, fill your mind with the thoughts of Christ. Related to meditation is memorization. Spend time memorizing scripture. Uh, 
You probably hear that and you're, and, and you're like, I'm not gonna do that. We don't memorize anything anymore. Why? We're dumbed down by these things. We just go like this. Well, I don't remember that. I'm gonna Google it real quick. I do it all the time. Guilty. But here's the truth. In those moments where we're in a dire circumstance and squeezing down on us, we're not gonna go to Google. We're gonna talk to ourselves. And here's how I want you to talk to yourself with scripture. Let God talk to you. Don't talk to yourself. So memorize scripture. One of my goals for 2022, keep me accountable to this. Uh, I wanna memorize Philippians. We're gonna, we're gonna preach Philippians in the fall. And before we walk through that book, I wanna memorize the whole thing. It's only four chapters. I can do it. Maybe you wanna join me in that. Maybe you wanna memorize it. Break out the flashcards. Remember your old study habits and try to do it with me. It's absolutely worth it. Because even if you fall short, even if I fall short of my goal, guess what? I've probably got some of it memorized. And that's good for me. Uh, you can read the Jesus Storybook Bible, especially if you have children. We read it to our kids almost every day. And I find myself oftentimes moved to tears because of the way that story is told that Jesus is the hero that I need. Uh, you can download the Dwell Bible app to have the scriptures read out loud to you. So if you're commuting, uh, some of you have long commutes to work, you, you need to listen to scriptures. Listen, Ryan's Roses is all made up anyways. It's all fake, if you don't know what Ryan's Roses is, apparently it's on Kiss FM where some fake breakup happens and it's stupid. It's just dumb, okay? <laughs> it's not real. I hate to burst your bubble. It's not real. It's all actors, okay? You know this, right? Right? Thank you. Don't listen to that. Listen to dwell. Listen to the word of God. Like you're laughing. I'm not joking. It's baloney. Stop. I'm not joking. Write the Bible, write the Bible out. Uh, we have a sister church in Austin called the Austin Stone. They have a pastor there that's Korean uh, and, and he has four children and he is trying, he English is his second language. And one of the ways he's trying to keep Korean alive in his life is by writing the Bible out in Korean for each of his four children. That when they turn 18, every one of them is gonna get the Bible fully start to finish in Korean. And he's preaching about this at a conference and he's sharing the story. And everyone's like, man, that's awesome. What a gift for your kids. How cool is that? And he's like, no, no, that's not a gift for my kids. That's a gift for me. I am literally writing out the Bible every single morning, being reminded of the promises of God, the faithfulness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. In writing the Bible, we are reminded of who God is and what God has done. So there's some good disciplines for you. Now, again, I can feel the opposition to this. That's a lot, that's hard, that's intimidating. But, but here's what I wanna do for a second. I wanna sub out the Bible for another topic, okay? I want you to read about and memorize and meditate on something from pop culture. You're like, yep, count me in. I can do that. You're talking about bachelor history? I got it. I got it all memorized. Katie and I are working through the Yellowstone right now. We love that show. It's a fantastic show. Uh, if you can get past the cussing, it's, that, it's pretty filthy. Um, putting myself on display here. I feel like I need to repent right now. I'm sorry. We, we, we enjoy the show. So you want to tell us to listen to the soundtrack from the Yellowstone and, and read more about where it's filmed and, and go look at uh, different resources of where these actors come from and, and how they were raised and what schools they went. Man, we'll do that in a second. So will you. 
your favorite musician, your favorite artist, your favorite athlete. We are experts in those things. And if I were to challenge you, hey, I want you to know everything you can about Kobe Bryant. Man, you'd wake up the next day and be like, got it. But the second I sub in the Bible, too hard. Too hard, I don't have time. Too hard, I, I, I don't have the intellectual capacity. Yes, you do. And the proof is you do it for everything else in your life, and so do I. And I'm not trying to villainize those things. Those are all good things. I love sports, but they're lesser things. We must order our loves in this life. And God is always at the top. And I wanna know God more. And the only way I'm gonna do that is by ordering my life properly, disciplining my life properly. That went from, from laughter to silence pretty quickly, huh? We're feeling it. Number two, the second track, rhythms to knowing God. Not just disciplines, it's also rhythms. All of our life is a rhythm. We feast and we fast. We just feasted for a couple of weeks and probably all of us are fasting now in January because we wanna lose weight. We're doing Whole30 or keto, or, which keto is not really a diet, guys, by the way. Like it's, you just, it says eat fat all day long. That's not good for you. Um, intermittent fasting is not fasting, it's skipping a meal. Um, here's hot takes on diets from Travis Cunningham. All right. All of life is rhythms, feasting, fasting, running, resting, all of these things. We live in rhythm. So too must your Christian life be rhythmed. But in order for it to be rhythmed, we have to be awakened to the fact that we're living in rhythms. So we must look at our calendars and consider where does God fit into this calendar? And I'm talking both grand and granular. In the grand scale, in our calendars, we must look at our lives. And listen, we live busy lives. We work, many of us, both people in the home work. We have children with extracurriculars. We have vacations. We have camping trips. We have weddings. We have funerals. We have things to go to. And if we don't watch our calendars, it's going to control us rather than us controlling our calendars. And you must give yourself permission to say no to things again in order to say yes to God and knowing God. So let me give you the freedom now. Say no to that wedding. I had 250 people at my wedding. I talked to 220, or I talked to 25 of them now. You're not friends with them. You're just a gift to them. So am I, okay? You can say no. It's okay to say no. You don't have to say yes to everything. You don't have to say yes to multiple sports and activities for every kid in your home. If your home is a taxi service, you're not living a rhythmed life. You're not giving yourself space and margin to live freely before God. So we must look at our calendars and mark things out and say, man, we're resting there. We're, taking, we're leaving margin there for God. And it's not just the grand realities, it's the granular daily realities. Let me remind you, Satan hates you, Satan opposes you, and Satan doesn't want you to get in the word. Satan doesn't want you to know God. So what's he gonna do? He's gonna distract you. Oftentimes we attribute to Satan just really devious and wicked and evil powers, which is true. But I think oftentimes in the Western world, Satan works in much more subtle and deceptive ways. How does that work for us? Man, we're gonna wake up to a text message that throws our whole day off. 
We're gonna save our Bible reading time for our lunch break. Well, guess what? You're gonna have a meeting instead. You're gonna get interrupted there. There's always gonna be threats to your calendar. Let me remind you, Jesus himself got up early, got away to the Father and spent time with him before anyone else had needs. He knew his disciples would be missing it. He knew that the people would want him to teach and perform miracles and he had to travel places and everything would be a threat to his daily rhythm. So what'd he do? He got up early and he got away with the Father. Try that in 2022. Try that. Don't wait in the day. The more you wait, the more opportunity there is for the enemy to come in and defeat you. Again, I can feel the opposition to this. We're not all morning people. Okay? You don't, you don't have to be a morning person. You just have to have an alarm. And you just have to not press snooze. And, and I'm not trying to make this a rule. This is just more of a suggestion. Again, for your flourishing. Because if you wait, you're going to miss it. And I want you to know the hope you have in God. I want you to know the power you have in God. I want you to know that you belong to God, but you must rhythm your life in such a way that you say, before I work out, before I eat breakfast, before I answer that text message, before I listen to Ryan's Roses, before I watch SportsCenter, I'm getting in my Bible. I'm going to know God. I'm going to be reminded of the promises of Scripture. Uh, another rhythm is to, to pray through your reading. Pray, pray before you read the scriptures. I think oftentimes my own devotionals are, are kind of dull or dead because I haven't gotten on my knees before God before I even open the scriptures and say, open my eyes, open my heart, help me to understand you and know you and walk in the wisdom of you. I haven't prayed Ephesians 1 for myself. What if I did that? What if you did that? What if we actually prayed before we opened the scriptures? I imagine our quiet times would look a lot different if we did that. And it's not just that, it's praying as you go. If you don't understand something, God, help me to understand this. If you're distracted, God, eliminate the distractions, please. If, if, if you want to believe something, God, I, I don't believe, help my unbelief. Pray these things for yourself. Uh, posture, posture is really important in reading and in, it really our life before God. I actually mean physical posture, okay? So here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna read your Bible in bed. You're gonna get to Lamentations and you're gonna fall asleep. It's gonna happen, okay? What if we actually got on our knees when we read the scriptures as an act of submission before God? God, I submit to you and I'm gonna be obedient to everything your word says. What if we did that? What if we opened our hands before God? As we read the scripture and said, God, I wanna receive all your promises. I wanna believe them. Give that to me, please. Actual physical posture that represents the state of our hearts before God. Read the Bible out loud. The Bible is, is originally oral. This church was written to, or this letter was written to a church at Ephesus meant to be read out loud to everyone in the congregation. They would hear everything. They wouldn't read it with their eyes. They would hear it read over them. What if you read the scriptures over yourself or you listened to dwell and had it read over you? Read, alternate in rhythms, alternate between reading big chunks of scripture and one verse of scripture. I'm gonna read all of Colossians today. And I'm gonna read just the first part of Genesis 1. Alternate between these things. Give yourself room before God for him to minister. If our main goal is to check the box, we're never gonna get there. We must rhythm it and say, God, I need you. I need you to move. I want you to direct my steps before you today. And then just a final suggestion. Read the Bible together. 
Theology is never meant to be done alone. Bible reading is never meant to be done alone. The Christian life is never meant to be done alone. You and I are intimately linked together because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So maybe if you don't understand something, grab someone else and say, let's go read together. Meet me at McDonald's at 6 a.m. Let's have a cup of coffee and let's read the Bible together. And, and if McDonald's is too lowbrow for you, go to Clatch or something. Okay, come to my backyard. It's always open. I got coffee. I'll text you the address. address. I'm up. Get with someone. And, and listen, we don't have to create those relationships for you. Create it for yourself. Community isn't found. Community is created. We don't just one day wake up, I found community. No, no, we actively create it. If you want to read in community, you want to do Bible together, you want to do it late night, early morning, you want to do it midday. If you work together, do it. Just actively pursue it. Take that step. Be courageous and watch what God does. So these are some of the railroad tracks that keep us moving in the right direction, the, the rhythms and the disciplines of knowing God. But let me remind you, we want to do this because not, not because we're just gonna do it out of obligation. We're gonna do it because we wanna know who God is and the hope that he has for us. We wanna know the power that lives within us. And we wanna be reminded that we belong to him. This is why we do it. Final point here, knowing your story within the story knowing your story within the story. Listen, we know God because God speaks. God's voice matters. God's voice and God's word have his glory and my good in mind. When we know God's voice, when we know God's word, we know God's hope. We know God's power. We know God's community. But hear me, those are not just things that are out there that apply to everyone else in this room. Those things apply to every single person here. God speaks to you. God's voice matters to you. God wants you to glorify him. God has your good in mind. God has hope for you. God's power dwells within you. You belong to God. You must know your story within his story. And when we know our stories within his story, we are convinced of one thing. The gospel is absolutely true. And when we live before God, we are reminded each and every day that the gospel is true and it's true for me and it's true for me every single moment of every single day. So as I'm walking through affliction, I am reminded that God comforts those who are afflicted. As I am brokenhearted and crushed in spirit, I'm reminded that is who God is near as I can't overcome sin, I am reminded that he has done it for me. As I suffer, I suffer with hope because Christ is with me and for me. That when I have some unforgiven and hidden sin, I am reminded that I have a savior that's not waiting to bend me over and whack me. I have a savior that's ready to embrace me and forgive me. He says, come to me and confess to me and find forgiveness and hope and freedom. 
When there is no light at the end of the tunnel and the future looks bleak and dark, I am reminded that Christ is there with me. He does not neglect me or leave me alone. He is carrying me right on through the dark night of the soul. When I'm confused, when I'm powerless, when I'm feeling like everyone else has it together and not me, I am reminded that the gospel is true. And I am reminded that if God is for me, who can be against me? I am reminded that God is with me. I am reminded that God is at work in me. God is work around me. God is at work through me. Unless I am actively in the word, I'm not remembering or reminded of any of those things. So we go to the word and we go to the word and we go to the word and we know the story and we know God and we remember the gospel and we remind each other of the gospel and we do it together. Why? Because everything we need is found right here in the God who has spoken and the God who is working. God and God alone is man's highest good. Do you believe this? And not just in an out there way. Do you believe this enough that every minute of every day you are starving for more of God? Here's a good place to start. Our pastor in Texas used to always say this to us. Pray this prayer. God, I want to want you. Help me to want you. You may not want God right now. So ask for the desire. God, I want to want you. Help me to want you. God, I I want to know you. Help me to know you. God, I want to be near you. Help me be near to you. And here's the thing that happens. As you go to the word and you pray these prayers, you are reminded he never left you. When you didn't want him, he never stopped wanting you. When you didn't want to know him, he still knew every bit of you. When you walked away from him, he stayed near to you. He didn't walk away or abandon you. I mean, come on. How good is our God? And yet again, we leave so much on the table and we say, I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough time. Uh, My life is too busy. I've got too much going on. I don't get it. It's too hard. Excuses from the enemy. Every one of those. Let's, in 2020, commit together, church, to knowing God through disciplines and rhythms. And we want to walk alongside you in that. So again, you have questions. Come on. I'm all for it. I love questions. I love them. I love talking. So ask questions. I'll talk. Okay? Can't tell? I mean, it's almost 10 o'clock already. Sorry, Stephen. Um, let, let, me, let me finish like this. Knowing God results in my flourishing, all right? We're just gonna do this together as an act before God. I want you, every one of you on on three, I want us all to say that together. Knowing God results in my flourishing. Let's do it together, okay? One, two, three. Knowing God results in my flourishing. God, I pray that we would believe that. I pray that we would know that. I pray that we would actually believe that you and you alone are our highest good. 
I pray that we would come to your scriptures and we would find the hope we are starving for. I pray we would come to the scriptures and find the belonging that our hearts desperately need. I pray we would come to the scriptures and find a God who is powerful and who is with us and working in us and through us. God, I pray you would convince us of these realities. I pray you would convince us so much so of these realities that we would discipline and rhythm our life in such a way that we are moving along the train track towards knowledge of you. I pray you would make Story Church into a people who have a voracious appetite for knowledge of you. That all the things in this world that are lesser would just die and fade away and the knowledge of you would be our hope. That the knowledge of you would be our aim and our focus. God, you are good, but unless we know you, we don't know your goodness. You are glory, you are greatness. Unless we know you, we don't know these things. So convince us of these things. And then I pray in 2022, a flourishing church would sprout forth because we know you. Not because we're powerful or good or have it together. Not because we're, we're pretty and, and all the things that are good. No, that's true anyways. But we would be flourishing because you are good and you are active in our midst. And we know for that to happen, we must know you. Make us a people who know you, God. Pray all this in the name of Jesus.